Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today, we will continue with our ongoing series of conversations as it relates to the emerging markets. A timely conversation today, as it does coincide with the release of the Chief Investment Office's year-ahead publication for 2024. Uh, My guest today will speak specifically to the emerging markets in a new world. That means I am joined once again by Alejo Zerwanko, the Chief Investment Officer for Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Alejo, as always, thank you for dropping by, spending some time with our listeners, our clients. Looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Dan. It's exciting to be here to share a few thoughts about what's in store for next year. Absolutely. So with that, Alejo, perhaps a good starting point to get acknowledging how the year ahead report is out. Can you describe for us the main characteristics of such a new world? Of course, Dan. Look, I think we define a new world as one that um, is characterized by a good amount of economic uncertainty, geopolitical instability, and also accelerated technological change, not only in 2024, but beyond. In the next few months in particular, I'd say we expect global economic growth to slow down quite a bit. Developed market central banks to follow those emerging market central banks that have already begun to cut policy rates. And of course, politics to play an outsized role. As you know, then, there are U.S. presidential elections in 2024. The Israel-Hamas conflict is a full swing. Russia-Ukraine war, something that might enter its third year in the early months of next year. And U.S.-China is a relationship that even though you know we're experiencing a somewhat better backdrop in the last few days, this is going down a secularly challenging path, and we think that this law is more likely than not to be temporary. So um, if you think about it, all these conflicts have the potential to affect markets. In this context, I think emerging markets play a key role in the evolving global economic and geopolitical order, and that's what we try to explain in our piece. So with that, Alejo, as you pointed out, a lot of global considerations. With that, maybe we can get a bit more granular, hit on some different regions, take a trip around the world, beginning with emerging markets in Asia. What role may Asian countries play in this new order? It's always important to remember that the second largest economy in the world uh, is based out of Asia, China. The soon-to-be third largest economy in the world is also based out of Asia, India. According to the IMF, in just five years, India is going to become the fifth largest economy in the world. And so you've got to really understand dynamics in this region to understand global economic and geopolitical trends. Starting with China, um, the Chinese economy has really consistently underwhelmed expectations this year. Now, I do think that economic activity has found a bottom in July thanks to more proactive fiscal and monetary policy measures. Now, looking ahead, China's equilibrium GDP growth likely now stands in the 4 to 4.5% range. The reason for slower growth in China has to do with uh, an economy that digests property sector overinvestment, that um, suffers from demographic headwinds, 
And of course, we've seen a noisier relationship between the government and the private sector in the last few years, something that is likely to persist. Nonetheless, China growing at four to four and a half percent means that the country will be able to double GDP per capita to around $25,000 by 2035. So China will be adding a good amount of growth dynamics to the global economy, uh, even if, if growth rates uh, are a little bit more modest. India, for its part, and we've talked about this in the past, Dan, I think it's solidifying its role as an investor darling. This is thanks to what we think is a reasonable expectation that it should deliver annual GDP growth of roughly 6% over the next few years. This growth is driven by favorable demographics and human capital trends, productivity-enhancing reforms that are finally bearing some fruit, and finally, the country's position at a geopolitical swing state, which allows it the opportunity to avoid picking side and pursue its domestic interests with a good degree of flexibility. Now, more broadly, in Asia, then, several economists in the region are benefiting from a redirection of investment in near-shoring trends. I'm talking about Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, of course, in addition to India, in the last 10 years, all these four countries have seen their share of global foreign direct investment flows grow pretty considerably. So Asia, by and large, is a region of economic dynamism and where we do find a good amount of investment opportunities looking ahead. Now, Alejo, what about your expectations, thoughts about countries in Latin America? I think in Latin America, one should remember that the region enjoys relative peace. There's not a lot of conflict between countries in Latin America. In addition, you can uh, recognize an abundance of in-demand natural resources and a stock of human capital infrastructure that overall, I think, makes the region a, a pretty desirable investment destination in this new world. That said, we do need to recognize that there is quite a bit of political uncertainty weak governance metrics, subdued business sentiment. Um, and in this context, you know, there's pros and cons. On aggregate, I think the region should be able to grow a bit faster than its pre-pandemic pace. There are differences under the hood. Our outlook is brighter for the region's largest economies. Brazil is one of the few reformers in the region, implementing a number of structural reforms to make its economic system a bit more flexible. Brazil is also becoming the barn of the world, thanks to its wealth of commodities. Mexico, for its part, is, of course, an obvious beneficiary of near-shoring by the United States. The picture for the Andean economists, Chile, Colombia, Peru, is a bit more challenging given unstable political dynamics in these countries that are curving new investment. Finally, a most complex macroeconomic picture awaits in Argentina for the new administration that will take office in December. And the recent easing of U.S. sanctions on Venezuela, I think it's a necessary but not sufficient condition for an economic turnaround in the country. So, Alejo, of course, I do want to hear about your outlook for those emerging economies in Central and Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, known as EMEA. What are your thoughts there? It's not easy to give an overarching economic message for the region at large. 
dynamics are simply too diverse. For example, some countries like Poland or South Africa should see an acceleration of growth next year for a variety of reasons. But at the same time, Turkey and Egypt will likely see weaker growth. Uh, unfortunately, what I should say about the region is that we've got a Damocles sword of conflict hanging over a number of countries in Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. The Israel-Hamas war risks spreading to the Middle East at large, although I must say regional and global actors are making huge efforts to prevent this from happening. As I highlighted earlier, Ukraine will go into its third year of fighting with Russia in February, most likely. And honestly, there doesn't seem to be an obvious path to negotiations and an easy resolution of this war. The war's direct market impact has faded with the rerouting of Russian oil and gas, but the conflict continues to have indirect impact through military budget expenditures, oil production um, shifts, and of course the broader reorganization of the global geopolitical map then. So, Alejo, as we put this all together, of course, a lot of considerations as we hear your outlooks for these regions. What are some of the investment implications looking into 2024? The first thing I want to highlight is that we do expect both fixed income and equities globally to deliver positive returns in 2024. Now, investors should probably be focusing on quality given the wide range of possible outcomes. Bonds, fixed income, remains our preferred asset class in global portfolios. In this context, well-diversified emerging market fixed income exposure is quite attractive. Current yields are around 9% and 8% for sovereign and corporate bonds, respectively. And I think, thinking 12 months out, total returns for emerging market dollar sovereign and corporate bonds are likely going to be quite healthy. If investors would rather go for individual issuers, I think they should be selective. We do expect higher default rates in a low liquidity environment. Moving on to stocks, the outlook for emerging market equities in the year ahead is decently constructive, particularly compared to some other developed markets such as the UK. I think EM companies, should deliver solid mid-teens earnings growth in 2024. And they have the support of, of pretty attractive valuations given the discount in terms of PE multiples they enjoy relative to developed market peers, something that I don't think is fully justified. All in, Dan, I'd say the new world we describe means complexity, means volatility, but also plenty of opportunity to grow portfolio values and wealth. I think that by building a plan using our liquidity, longevity, and legacy framework, getting in balance through a globally diversified multi-asset portfolio with emerging market exposure, I think overall investors should be well-positioned to navigate this new world. Well, Alejo, as we begin to wrap up 2023, it is, of course, very helpful to hear your expectations, your outlook for the emerging markets as we head into the new year 2024. Uh, thank you for all of the insights and guidance you've shared with our listeners, our clients here on top of the morning throughout the course of 2023 and do certainly look forward to many conversations ahead in the new year. Thank you again, Alejo. 
Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been such a pleasure to exchange thoughts with you on a regular basis this year, and I can't wait for what's in store for next. Likewise. Thank you again, Alejo. Much appreciated. Again, today we have been speaking with Alejo Zerwanko, the Chief Investment Officer for Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Alejo has been making reference to the latest piece from the CIO Emerging Markets team, Emerging Markets in a New World, and this coincides with the Chief Investment Office's Year Ahead Report. These resources can be located up on UBS.com slash CIO for Clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive copies of these publications directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.